Good morning, everybody. We are so glad to be here and to be able to bless the Lord, O oh, our souls. Today's reading is from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 through 32. In the Pew Bibles, you'll find that uh, it's on page 978. 978. Verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This is the Word of God. Amen. Good morning, church. Can I just say... It's good for you to be here today. I want you to hear that. It is good that you are here. I'm looking at you. It's good that we are here. We're in this summer series called One Another, where we're looking at the commands in the New Testament that teach us how we relate to one another especially how we relate to one another as a community of faith, and then, by extension, how we relate to one another in the world around us. We're doing this community art project in the hallway after the service where you can take a piece of, of tissue paper and paste it on the, the tree as we're filling out this tree with these colors as we symbolize these one another commands, what it looks like to live together God doesn't leave us in the dark about how we live out the Christian life. He makes it very clear by giving us very specific commands that show us how we are to treat one another, how we are to speak to one another, how we are to live with one another. These are not suggestions. They're commands that call us to live out our new identity in Christ. They give us together, these commands give us a vision for what it looks like to live as Christians. If you want to understand what does it look like to live the Christian life, that's what this series is meant to do. We've already looked at love one another. Love is the foundation for all of these. Welcome one another. Teach one another. Now today, be kind to one another. Here's what we all know. We live in a world that preaches kindness, right? People from all walks of life, from all kinds of religion and those with no religion, everyone says, be kind to one another. And that's a good thing, isn't it? Right? Kindness is a virtue. If you go online, which I did this week, and you just search on articles on kindness, there are endless articles and research on the benefits of simply being kind to one another. Studies show that 
kindness, if you show kindness to others, it actually can lower your blood pressure. That's incredible. Go figure. It can reduce depression. They've done studies in hospitals that for for patients who are in hospitals, when they're spoken to by staff who are kind and they're given uplifting words rather than disparaging words about their progress, did you know they actually get better quicker? Kindness clearly has benefits to us personally and to us collectively. So everyone preaches kindness, and and there is kindness in the world. Thank God people are trying to be kind. But you know there's a flip side to this as well. Because we live in a world that preaches kindness, but let's be honest, it's also a world that's very unkind. People say and do things all the time, that are unkind. We treat the drivers around us unkindly. We don't even know them. We have no idea, but boy, they cut you off. They're going too, for me, they're going too slow. Oh, that can just uh, bless them. <laughs> we speak about our coworkers or our boss in unkind ways. We speak about our fellow church members in unkind ways. We treat our spouse, our children, our roommates, our parents in unkind ways. We post things on social media. We make comments on social media that are literally the antithesis of kindness. If you can think of what is the exact opposite of kindness, that's what we're typing in. Boop, I want the whole world to see that. Why this dichotomy? Why is it so hard to be kind? I submit to you, as we get started, this is one of the many things that makes Christianity so unique and compelling. You see, every religion, Buddhism, Hinduism, Confucianism, Christianity, every religion says, be kind. And usually the rationale goes like this, be kind because it's right. And it is. Or don't be unkind because that will displease God or the gods. Or don't be unkind because you'll be punished by God. Or be very kind and you'll be rewarded by God. Every religion basically says, be kind, and then they give you reasons to produce a set of moral behaviors. Christianity is unique in that it's not focused on simply behavior modification. It's focused on heart transformation that leads to a change in moral behavior. Christianity teaches be kind because that's part of your new identity. It's who you are. Don't be unkind because that's not who you are anymore. You're a new person. You're a child of God, a God who loves you and has given you a new heart. So don't live as if you're still the person you used to be. Live as someone who's spiritually united to Christ. And that's a beautiful reality, and that's what separates Christianity from every other religion. Listen, I, I minored in comparative religious studies. I studied all the religions, and there are beautiful things in, in other religions. But at the, at the core of it, it's do this because you don't want to get punished. Do that because you, don't, you want to get rewarded. And Christianity comes along and says, all bets are off. Christ took it all. 
You've already gotten all the rewards you need. He took all the punishment you deserved. Now live as a new creation. Let's see how this plays out in terms of kindness. Lesson number one from these verses in Ephesians 4. Be kind because of your new identity in Christ. Jump down to the end of the passage, verse 32. This is the summary of what Paul has been teaching in these few verses. And he says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. So there's the command. Be kind to one another. But notice the command is connected to what we've experienced from God in Christ. In other words, be kind because Christ is kind and he's now living in you and living through you. By the way, don't miss the fact that in Greek, what this, the New Testament was written in, the word for kindness is Christos. The new church would have heard right in this word, kindness, Christos, the, the similarity to Christ, Christos. Be Christos, because Christos has been Christos to you. A couple observations as we think about how to live out our new identity in Christ. First, all the things that we're talking about in Ephesians 4 here, all these commands, how we live out the Christian life, it's all about how we live out our new identity in Christ. And they're all relational commands. Look back at verse 25. Put away falsehood. Speak the truth with one another, with your neighbors. Be angry and do not sin. Let the thief steal no longer, but let him do honest work, sharing with others in need. You see how relational these commands are? What's Paul getting at? He's saying our union with Christ, our salvation in Christ should change how we live, not just personally, but in community with each other. Notice also, These commands are not just relational. Notice he states the negative action and then gives us the positive action instead. Verses 22 to 24. Put off the old self, put on the new self. Stop doing this. Don't lie. Speak the truth. That's significant. He doesn't just tell us what not to do. He tells us what to do instead. What's he saying to us? He's saying pursuing holiness is not just a matter of saying no to sin. It's a matter of saying yes to righteousness. So we don't go around saying, stop being unkind, stop being unkind. No, rather do this, live like this. And then finally, maybe the most important thing I want to point out here, when when God gives us these one another commands, he doesn't just tell us what to do and what not to do. He gives us a theological reason why we should do it. He gives us a th- look at verse 25. Having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. There's a theological reason. Don't do this, do this. Why? Because you are members of one another. You are a part of the body of Christ. Verse 32, be kind, forgive one another. Why? Because that's how God in Christ has forgiven and has been kind to you. He takes us back to the cross. This is what we mean by gospel-centered teaching. You see, as Christians, we are not only called to live differently than those around us, 
We're called to live differently for different reasons. Many non-Christians are also saying, be kind, be kind, be kind. It's a good thing. But look, you can be kind for very selfish reasons. You can be kind because you want others to like you and accept you. You can be kind in order to feel like you're better than others, those other people who are so terrible and unkind. You can be kind because you want to be able to get others to do what you want. Do you see how you can have the same action? We can all be preaching kindness, but if it's from a different motive, then something's still wrong. I'm not con- I don't want you to go out being kind so you get others to do what you want them to do. That's just another form of sin. Christianity isn't laying down a thing that manipulates to get our way. It's showing you you've been changed from the inside out. You don't have to get your way, and you can be kind no matter the cost. Be who you are. That's what Paul is saying here. Be kind. Yes, it's a command. It's not a suggestion. But be kind because of your new identity in Christ. It's no longer the old you. It's the new you. That's the motivation we're given. Now, lesson number two. How do we do this? How do we do this where the rubber meets the road? Well, Paul tells us in verse 29, show kindness with grace-filled speech that builds up. Grace-filled speech that builds up. Look at verse 29 again. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. The word corrupting in verse 29 doesn't just mean foul language or cursing. It includes that, but it's much broader than that. Corrupting literally means worthless, harmful, or rotten. Worthless, harmful, or rotten. It's the same word, the word corrupt there, it's the same word used to describe rotten fish and rotten fruit in the New Testament. And both are appropriate pictures of what our corrupt words are like. Corrupt talk is like bad fruit because rottenness spreads rottenness. Corrupt talk does not nourish. It it does not build up. Rather, it makes you sick and it spreads that sickness. Corrupt talk includes things like lying, abusive language, Vulgar jokes, cursing, biting words, gossip, spiteful criticism. Let's just be honest here. Sometimes we actually enjoy tearing other people down. It makes us feel better. We're literally spreading rottenness when we do that. Church, we must be on guard against words that are worthless, harmful, and rotten. When I say we must be on guard, I mean literally taking Jesus' words in Matthew 12, 36 seriously when he said that on the final day we will each give an account for every careless word spoken. That includes every careless word spoken on Facebook, Insta, text message, 
conversations on the phone, at work, in your home when nobody else is listening. I appreciate how St. Augustine of Hippo took this verse in, in the third century. He had a sign hanging in the dining room of his home which said, quote, Every, whoever speaks evil of an absent man or woman is not welcome at this table. Ouch. Do we take our words about others that seriously? Paul doesn't just tell us what not to do. He also tells us what our speech should look like. Put off, he says, then put on. He says, instead, let your speech be filled with words that are good for building up. Ones that fit the occasion. That gives grace to the hearers. In other words, speak constructive and encouraging words to others. Not rotting words, but healing words. Proverbs 18.21 is true. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Is it rotten fruit or good fruit? Will it lead to sickness or will it lead to life? Do you understand how broad this command is in verse 29? As Christians, here's what he's saying. We are not allowed to speak whatever we want as long as we're not cussing at, other, at others. I think that's how sometimes we conservative Christians think, well, I'm not, I'm not cursing. I'm not using vulgar language. And we can, even, we can even, you can even justify words that are neutral. Thinking, well, it doesn't hurt anyone, so it must be okay. Paul says the standard for deciding what is worth speaking is if my words will build up and benefit others. If not, don't say anything. It's not worth saying. Neutral words are, are still not meeting the bar of what is worth coming out of our mouths. I love how Pastor Brian Chappelle put it in his commentary. He said, quote, Our words are an instrument of God's grace toward others by which his own nature is known and shared. Are your words an instrument of God's grace at work in the people around you? Are you literally showing others what God is like, what his nature is like by how you speak? Is it a habit of yours to speak words of encouragement? Or do you find this hard to do? And if you're like me, you find it hard to do and you might want to ask yourself, why is it so hard for us to speak words that build up rather than tear down? Why is it so hard as a Christian? Haven't you been shown grace upon grace? Didn't Jesus give you what you didn't deserve and what you could never earn? Then why is it so hard for you and I to choose our words thoughtfully and to give grace to others? Look, I'll speak personally right now. I'll be transparent. This is incredibly convicting for me. As a man who literally speaks for a living, you would think that I mastered the principle of my words. But I haven't. I have so much growth still needed in this area of my speech. And you know where I need it most? Toward those who are closest to me. You say, Mark, you've been very kind to me. Yeah, I can be kind around, you know, around people. And I'm not a jerk, but I'm just saying, you know, I can be kind. I know how to be kind. 
But far too often I speak to my family members with words that tear down. Far too often I am not thoughtful, I am thoughtless about my words. Why? It's selfishness coming out. I want them to do what I want. What about you? Do you struggle with kindness towards those who are closest to you? We sin more blatantly at home, don't we? We sin more blatantly at church, don't we? The old adage is true, familiarity breeds contempt. Here's what I'm asking you to do today, church. Let today be the day where where we all, all of us admit our desperate need for help in this area and let's seek God's grace in order to give grace to others with our words. The litmus test for our speech as Christians cannot simply be, are my words true? Because Paul takes it a step further. We must also be asking, are my words building up? Are my words imparting grace to others? Be on the lookout. Literally, every day you might want to be intentional. How can I speak words that are encouraging and uplifting today? Right? Practice makes, not perfect, but it does make it better. Look for ways to affirm your family members, your friends, your coworkers, your fellow church members. I love a practice that we have at Grace Christian School. At, at Grace Christian School, they don't just address discipline issues when students are doing something wrong, which they do. They also have a policy to, to catch students when they're doing something good. Students are literally sent to the principal's office. One of my kids came home. I went to the principal's office today. I'm like, oh my goodness, you tell me what you did. I am going to. And then they wait, 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 listen to me, dad. If you get caught helping a fellow student out, nobody asked you to do it. Just, you just did it out of your own free will. You're helping a teacher work on something. You run an errand. You see a kid who's, who's by himself. You go help them out. If you're doing something that's good and a teacher catches you doing it, they'll write a note, send it to the principal, and you'll go to the principal's office and you'll, they'll sit in there and the principal will literally say, great job. I'm proud of you. You did something good. Now, I'm not just the one you come to when you're in trouble. I'm the one you come to to let you know we are also grateful when you do things that are right. I love that. Let's catch each other doing good things. You don't have to go to the principal's office to do it. We can just be normal people, right? And encourage one another. Hey, I saw you helping that child when that mom was struggling with her kids. Great job. Let's encourage one another. Let's be on the lookout ways that we can literally give grace because this is what kindness looks like verse 30 he has a warning right in the middle of talking about our words talking about our kindness he says in verse 30 and do not grieve the holy spirit of god by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption he brings up the holy spirit couple thoughts here about the Holy Spirit. First, the Holy Spirit is not just a thing. He's a person. How do we know that? Because you can't grieve a thing, right? Don't grieve this clicker by not using it properly. No, the clicker doesn't have feelings, but the Spirit does because he's a person. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God. 
We sang a song about and to the Holy Spirit today. That shouldn't be weird. He's not like the weird uncle that you're like, don't know what to do with when they come to the party. No, the Holy Spirit is God himself. Second, as Christians, the Holy Spirit lives within you. Notice he says, by whom you were sealed. You have the presence of God himself living in you. Third, grieving the Holy Spirit impacts how you relate to God. He says corrupt words are a sin against God. And maybe you're not used to thinking this way, but Paul makes it clear. When you speak words that are corrupt, your words, your actions affects the heart of God. Now this doesn't mean when you sin that God is removing himself from you, that he's far away. No, the Spirit has sealed you. You can't be unsealed. He's with you, Christian, forever. But when you sin in your speech, you're literally undermining the very work, the very ministry of the Spirit in your life. You're literally working against the Spirit as he seeks to cultivate his fruit in your heart. And Paul says, don't do that. Be, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Instead, be sensitive to the Spirit who has sealed you and let the Spirit lead the way in your speech. Christian, are you actively praying for the Spirit to guide your words to not tear down but build up? If you're like, give me one concrete thing to do, start praying that the Spirit would produce the fruit of uplifting words, words that build up. The Spirit has sealed you for eternal life, adopted you into God's family, promised you an unimaginable inheritance to come. Remember this and let this give you confidence that the Spirit can, if He's done all those things, He can also give you words that are kind. Lesson number three. The more you appreciate Jesus' kindness to you, the more you will share that kindness with others. Verse 31, Paul lists several sins that find their expression in our speech. He calls them, he calls us to put them away. He literally put away, meaning it's like dirty clothes. Take them off. Put on the new clothes of being in Christ. What do the dirty old clothes look like of your old life? Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice. Those are heavy words. Bitterness. That's when we have a resentful attitude. You see, it's not just about your words. Now he's getting to the heart of it, isn't he? He's not just saying, just change the way you speak. He's saying, no, no, address the bitterness in your heart that leads to unkind words. It's when you're resentful to others. That's why you speak unkindly. He says, put away wrath and anger. This is, wrath is when there's festering anger in your heart. Indignant outbursts, clamor. This is public shouting. Slander. That speech that denigrates or defames others, puts them in a bad light. I mean, good grief, we do that one without even thinking. And malice. We literally, we literally think Thoughts where others would be harmed or hurt. We just harbor hostility that comes out in just meanness. Paul says, dude, those are dirty clothes. Why are you wearing those clothes? Burn those clothes. 
You never have to put those clothes on again. Put them away. They don't even fit you anymore. They look terrible on you, really. That's putting off. But remember, Paul always follows up with what we put on. Verse 32 again. Instead, be kind to one another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Be kind. Kindness is when you consider the needs of others before your own. It's when you consider the needs of others before your own. Kindness is speaking, speaking and acting in ways that benefit others and builds them up. Earlier in Ephesians, Paul speaks of God's kindness to us. Look what he says about God considering our needs. God speaking and acting in ways that builds us up. Ephesians 2, 4-7, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That's God's kindness to us. And Paul says, now reflect that same kindness to undeserving people, just as you were undeserving of the kindness shown by God. Biblical kindness, what he's talking about here, is not what the world defines as kindness. Often the world sees kindness sort of a, a simply a surface level, non-confrontational tolerance, right? That's why there's a saying, we go along to get along, right? Let's just, everyone kind of do your own thing and be kind to each other and that's fine. That's not what kindness is here. We don't just, it, it's speaking the truth to one another. We don't lie. Letting one another ha, uh, live in lies is not loving or kind. We don't just go along to get along. This is not just Southern hospitality where we're, we're kind externally at that, and that's it. No, this is a deeper level kindness. It's a kindness that's much more radical. Why? Because it's a kindness that is costly. What do I mean by that? Look at verse 32. He connects being kind to one another with forgiveness. Do you see that? That means kindness involves being vulnerable and intimate. Being kind opens yourself up to being hurt by others. You cannot be kind with a closed heart or a hard heart. If your kindness is not opening you up for someone else to hurt you, you're not being kind in a biblical sense. Kindness is not meant to be a surface-level thing. Paul says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Tender-hearted. In other words, kindness begins in the heart and moves out into words and actions because kindness flows from our new identity. Church, is your heart tender or sympathetic to the needs of those around you? Is your heart tender to the needs of your brothers and sisters in Christ? Is your heart tender to the needs of those in your community? 
kindness at its steepest level? You want to, you're digging, we're peeling back the, oven, the onion. You want to know what that's at the core of kindness? It looks like a, a willingness to forgive others that have hurt you. Because kindness includes forgiveness. And forgiveness is an act of kindness. Can you see why this kind of kindness doesn't come naturally for us? Can you see why this isn't necessarily the kindness that the world is pushing? Because we can't manufacture it on our own. It's why kindness is a fruit of the Spirit. Did you, did you, you remember that? You know that when you memorize love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Kindness is in there. What is our motivation? How do we, how do we, what drives us to be kind to one another and forgive? It's the greatest motivation of all, as God and Christ forgave you. How did Jesus Christ show his kindness to you? Was it because you were really, really good and he says, boy, you're in? No? No? How did he show his kindness to us? While we were yet his enemies, Christ had compassion and died for us. He makes us his beloved brothers and sisters at the cost of shedding his own blood, even knowing that we would still take advantage of his grace and continue sinning against him. He gave us everything even though we deserve nothing. This is the ultimate extent of Christ's kindness and forgiveness. But this is more than just a call to follow the example of Jesus. Paul is not saying, look, this is what Christ has done. Now follow his example, because if that's all it was, then all he'd be, all he'd be doing is laying another burden on us to show us how much we fail at being kind. No, this is a call to do in Christ what we would otherwise be impossible to do. By you offering kindness and forgiveness to others, you're actually revealing Christ to others. Did you know that? You're literally being his hands and feet on earth. And you can only do this, as the lesson says, to the degree that you remember and appreciate God's kindness and forgiveness toward you. How has Jesus treated you? Jesus was asked a question similar to that in Matthew 18. How are we to treat one another, Jesus? And Jesus tells a parable of a man who owed 10,000 talents to a king. This is an exorbitant amount of money. In today's economy, it would be $6 billion. Right? In other words, he really screwed up. Like Ponzi scheme screw up. And he couldn't pay it, obviously. And he's been in prison, and, and the king brings him before him and says, pay up. And he can't pay. The man falls on his knees and says, please, please, please be patient. I don't have the money, but I, I want to pay you back. And what does Jesus say in this parable, this made-up story? He says, the king has pity on him. In other words, he was tender-hearted toward this man who didn't deserve it. And the king forgives the man's entire debt and sets him free. Incredible. He absorbs the cost. He doesn't just say, nah, no big deal. No, the king absorbs that $6 billion cost. And that's why the man goes free. The king is basically saying is, I will eat the cost. I will take this burden. You are freed from it. You're free. 
And the man goes out and he's super excited and he's amazed and he's in awe. But then he sees a fellow servant who owes him a few thousand dollars. And he immediately says to that guy, pay up right now. And the guy says the same thing. I'm so sorry, I can't pay right now. Please be patient with me. And the man says, nope, you're going to pay. And I'm going to throw you in prison until you pay off that debt. And the king hears about it and brings the man back in. And he says, you wicked servant. I forgave you a massive debt. A debt you couldn't pay. And you couldn't have mercy on a fellow servant to forgive him that very small debt? What's Jesus' point? He wants you and I to consider the infinite debt we owe to God because of our sin. You see, you see we, at, at the heart of it, we think we're just a little unkind here and there. We, we're just a little bitter. I just get angry every now and then. It's just a little slander. No big deal. Yes, it is. It's a big deal. You're rejecting what, God, what it means to be human, to live in the image of God. You think you're superior to others, and that's where corrupt speech and unkindness comes from. You think you can treat others worse because they're beneath you, and that's not just wrong. It's cosmic rebellion against the holy God. You have a debt, and I have a debt that we cannot pay, and you and I deserve to be punished for our rebellion for all of eternity in hell. That's because the greater the authority that we do evil against, the greater the punishment. If I were to sin against my friend, that's one punishment. If I were to sin against my nation, that's an even greater punishment. And if I were to sin against the God of all creation, it's the greatest punishment of all. But God, knowing, looking at our helpless estate, Seeing not just a $6 billion debt, but an infinite debt that we could not pay. He has compassion on us. He is tenderhearted towards us. He knows someone has to pay the debt, and we can't pay it. We could pay it for all of eternity, and we'd still never pay off our debt. And so what does he do? He literally absorbs the debt himself. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He took all of our guilt, all of our shame, all of our, our, our condemnation because of our unkind attitudes, unkind words, and unkind actions. Jesus was God in the flesh, and that's what makes him qualified to absorb all of our debt. And his death forgives our sin, wipes the slate clean, releases us from the judgment we deserved. He literally takes our place and then he rises from the dead to prove he can not only forgive sin, take away our debt, but he has the power to grant us eternal life. He gives us his very life living in us and he says, now go be free and live as one who is free so that when we see people around us who have a very little debt compared to what our debt was, we don't just say, hey, pay up, I'm going to hold you accountable. We say, oh, good grief. We're in the same boat. I can understand how hard it is. I know what it's like to mess up. Yes, I'll be kind. Yes, I can forgive because look how much I've been, been forgiven. Look how much kindness I've been granted. You see, when you've experienced grace, you are united to Jesus Christ. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. You are adopted in the family of God and he transforms you into a person who can now be kind to one another. You have been shown infinite kindness and forgiveness when you didn't deserve it. Now, he says, 
show kindness and forgiveness to those who still may not deserve it. You can show grace because you've been shown grace. And maybe you're here and you've never tapped into that kind of grace and forgiveness. Maybe you've never realized that, that the debt you have before God can be wiped away, can be cleansed, can be, you can be made new. Today, you can trust Christ as your Savior. You can have that big debt wiped away and be brought in. He's not just a judge going, you have a debt to pay. He literally pays it himself and then comes down and says, I'm adopting you into my family. You are my enemy. Now you're my daughter my son. And guess what? You have an inheritance waiting for you that is unimaginable and full of glory. Uh, uh, and if your mind isn't going, what? Then, then of course you're not going to show kindness because if you're not getting it. It's not getting deep inside you, but the more it does, the more the gospel will fan into flame a kindness in your heart so that when you read, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you, you'll say, yeah, because of Christ and in Christ, we can live this way because this is who we are. Let's pray. Jesus, help us in a world where everyone is preaching kindness, God, I pray that we would affirm kindness and just take it even deeper that our kindness would be a kindness that is tender-hearted. That we would admit that if we're going to live this way with one another, we're going to hurt each other. Not intentionally, not because we mean to, but God, because we still struggle. May our forgiveness of one another produce greater kindness of, in one another. And may people see that our kindness is not just surfacy. We're willing to be inconvenienced, Father. We're willing to absorb a cost because we want a kindness that is real and gritty and enduring and life-giving because that's the kindness you've shown us. God, please make Grace Baptist Church a church family that is deeply committed to this command. We need you to do this work in us. It's who we are. Father, help us live who we are. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.